Hi friends, welcome to the Bible Project Daily Podcast. And the project is to work through the entire Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And today we're continuing through season three, when we've been looking together and working through together the Gospel of Matthew. And today we're in the second of two days looking at Matthew chapter 3 and considering those scriptures at the end of chapter 3 which describe the events around the baptism of Jesus. So I do hope you're enjoying being on this journey with us together, Lord willing, through the whole Bible. Now if you're here for the very first time, I strongly recommend that you take a look at the episode notes page of this episode where you'll find not only a transcript of what I've said, which appears in every episode, but ways in which you can connect with the ministry and also other teachings that I provide. Anyway, you're most very welcome. And we launch off together right now in the main text. And I'll see you at the back end just to say bye-bye. But it's bye for now. Okay, in this first of my two-part series, looking at this passage, I look at the whys of Jesus being baptised. But now I want to look at actually what happened when we see him, what is described here as occurring when he goes through the water of baptism, and try and explain some of the meaning behind what we see and the consequences of what happened that day, how it affects us today. So let's just pick up the text and look again and read verses 16 and 17, which tells us this. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my son who I love. With him I am well pleased. So verse 16 says the heavens were opened. Wow, we can only imagine what that was like. And then it describes the Spirit of God descending like a dove. So this is happening. It's not only a real occurrence, but it's also a symbolic reputation of Jesus being anointed with the Holy Spirit. Now, a lot of Bible teachers like to point out how unusual it would be for a dove, of all things, to land on him. And that's true, because a dove we know is a very nervy, a flighty bird. It's not like other birds. If you in any way go into its presence, if you even try and walk towards it from a distance, a dove will usually immediately fly off. So being portrayed in this way is perhaps indicative of the nature that a dove was able to land on him that uh, really suggests the character of Jesus that's being portrayed here. But the text itself actually tells us that this dove is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. So we don't have to speculate about this and about what the bird represented. So here, this dove symbolically represents him being anointed with the Holy Spirit. Now, it's not that he didn't have the Holy Spirit before he was born, but this is an anointing that's just telling us that this is the beginning of his ministry and the words that God speaks from heaven back that up. In Luke's account, it actually shows us that Jesus began his ministry immediately after this baptism. So God is saying and depicting here and portraying here the fact that he's anointing his son for ministry, his ministry, that he's calling 
him into ministry, if you like, at this point. Now, in the Old Testament, this was a pattern, a picture. They were seen to anoint kings, anoint kings to lead and to serve the people. So something similar is happening here. Then we see the second thing happening as well. Immediately, you hear a voice giving a call, an affirmation, if you like. It talks about seeing the heavens open up and a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. So God's voice, God himself, speaks from heaven and he is heard to speak two verses from the Old Testament. And he uses these words to affirm who Jesus is and how God feels about him. And the first part is taken from Psalm 2. The phrase, This is my beloved Son. And the second part of the passage is from Isaiah 42, where it says, He is the one in whom I am well pleased. Now, in the original Isaiah passage, the Holy Spirit is illustrated as being put on the Messiah to show that God approves of him and affirms him for service. So again, here we have another fulfillment of an Old Testament prophecy about the coming of the Messiah being fulfilled before our eyes in the Gospel account of Matthew. Now Matthew's account has already told us that Jesus was baptised to what is called fulfil all righteousness. And then we have here God the Father saying from heaven, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So God here is saying, This is the one, this is the Messiah, this is the one that I affirm and I approve. So now you need to listen to him. You know, a number of years ago, I read a story of a boy who was growing up in the 1970s and he loved to go to the local amusement park. And he went to that amusement park regularly with his family when he was young. And as the story went, he used to go every year and he would ride on the rides for the little kids, you know, and the carousel and things like that. The rides designed for the younger children. But he always wanted to be able to ride on the big rides, particularly the big roller coaster. But the big roller coaster had an age limit. You had to be over eight years of age to ride the bigger rides, including that one. And he just couldn't wait for his birthday to come along when one day he would be eight and he could ride on the big rides with his older brother and his mum and dad as well. So when he was eight years old, for his birthday, his family took him to the park again. And he thought, I'm no longer a little boy. The day has come where I can ride on the big rides, including the roller coaster. So finally, he took his place in the queue. And although it seemed to get take forever, he finally got to the front and he made ready to board. He was about to get on the ride when the gatekeeper pulled him back and said, hold on a minute, wait a minute, son. And he took him over to check his height against a new measuring board that had been placed at the entrance to the ride. He then explained that the rules had changed and it was no longer an age qualification. Now he would have to measure up to the new height regulation. And in this case, he was still two inches short. He didn't measure up. Now you may ask, what do I mean by that? Well, I'm just using this passage as a way of saying that God here is saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. In other words, he's saying, this is my son, and he fulfills all the criteria. Jesus Christ measures up, and it's attested to by God the Father. One more observation I think is worth making before uh, summarising this passage is the fact that in the Bible, 
experts will point out that this is the first time that all three members of the Trinity show up at once. Jesus is obviously here. The Holy Spirit is seen to be here in the form of a dove descending and anointing Jesus for ministry. And we also hear God the Father speak from heaven. So all three members of the Trinity are here. And this passage is the first time the Trinity is, well, it's the first time it's so clearly presented in all the scriptures. Now, you forgive me if I just try and get a little bit technical for a moment. One very common heretical view of the Trinity is something called modalism. Now, what on earth is that, I'm sure you're thinking. Well, in the Old Testament account of creation, the Holy Spirit appears. And then in the Gospel, we also see the Holy Spirit appears. In fact, he appears here in this way. And later, again in the book of Acts, he will be seen to appear and move powerfully again. Now, this passage, I believe, is a famous refuting of the heresy which takes the idea of modalism, which in a sense betrays the Holy Spirit as actors taking part in a play. Modalism presents these appearances of the Spirit as though God is sort of making appearances in a three-act play. In the first act, he appears and then the curtain closes. Then he comes in the second act, this time dressed as the person of Jesus Christ. And then again the curtain closes. And then in the third act, the same Holy Spirit comes out, this time dressed as the Spirit. In a sense, he closes the whole show. And that, I think, is a helpful way of thinking that how modalism approaches the idea of the Trinity. You see, modalism says that the Trinity is one God appearing in three different modes. But biblical Christianity says, no, that's not correct. It's very clear. It says there is one God in three persons. This is the passage which refutes modalism because it says we've got one act, one stage, one act, and all three people are on the stage at the same time. God the Father speaks to God the Son and the Holy Spirit descends on him all on the same day, all at the same moment, all in the same scene. So this passage especially and effectively refutes one of the main false teachings that you might come across out there about the Trinity. Anyway, but back to the question we asked at the start of our time looking at this passage. Why was Jesus baptised? Well, the answer we discovered, first of all, was, in fact, we were told it was to fulfil all righteousness. But also beyond that, the fact that he was baptised was a way of preparing and commissioning him for his ministry and to show that God the Father approved and affirmed his earthly ministry. So what we have here at the age of 30 is Jesus, the Messiah, being called into the period of his public ministry. So the question, though, this raises in our mind is, what does it mean for us today? What can we gain out of this passage in any way by studying it? Well, I think there are several things. He's the king, right? If we go back to the first verse of this passage, chapter 3, verse 13, it says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to John. So one of the great messages of Jesus is to say, Here's the king, but yet he still comes up and presents himself and he comes up and he comes to John and says, will you baptize me? So the king 
asks to be baptized. And in the dove landing on him is a symbolic act of, yes, he is king, but look at the meekness of the person of Christ. And how Jesus, in a sense, meekly submits to his mission. This is one of the great lessons that come out of this in the fact that he did this and we should do that. He is our great example. He's the example to us that we too should meekly, willingly to submit to whatever fulfills a righteous approach to life in our life. That is true, but I think there's also another reason shown here at the fact that Jesus was baptised also as an act of identification. Identification with us as human beings. As a true example for us and a way of connecting us to God the Father, he must be able to identify with us and we must be able to identify with him at the most profound level, which is why he came as a man, fully man, fully God. And by being fully man, we are then able to see aspects of ourselves in him. So in a sense, it also portrays him not just as as one of us, as a human, but as an example that we should follow, both in our life and our ministry, but also, I would suggest, in our call to be obedient and to be baptised also. How can we possibly see what God is really like unless he had come as a man, fully human yet fully God? In fact, the prologue to John's Gospel, the first 18 verses of chapter 1, the opening of John's Gospel, speaks at length about this to try and get us to understand this aspect of it. Now, you may remember earlier at the beginning of this passage, I laboured at some length to explain that there were three water baptisms. The baptism of repentance offered by John the Baptist to the ordinary people on confession of their sins prior to the arrival of Jesus. Then here the baptism of Jesus himself to fulfil all righteousness. And our baptism, the baptisms we see today as believers, which is a symbol of the remission of sins and our willingness to follow him. But that third baptism, our baptism, is primarily a symbolic representation of that which has already occurred in our hearts when we accepted Jesus Christ as our Saviour. But there's another baptism portrayed in Scripture, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And it is the baptism of the Holy Spirit which places us into the body of Christ and equips us with spiritual gifts, Holy Spirit gifts. So I believe the Bible teaches that all believers are baptised by the Spirit of God into the body of Christ, but they also need to be baptised in water as a representation of what has occurred in their life. So I'll just close by talking about that for a moment. What is believer's baptism? We've talked about John's baptism to some degree, and we've talked about what we've seen here of Jesus' baptism, as much as I feel we can anyway. But what about this thing, believer's baptism? Well, this isn't going to be a great shock for you, because I've already said that believer's baptism is a symbol. Uh, It represents those people that have trusted in Christ, and it allows us to identify with him in the same way as he identified with us, as those who have trusted in Jesus Christ. So in one sense it is an act of the closest identification that we can have. 
you trust Christ and you get baptized. And if you look closely in this passage, it says he came out of the water. So they don't think there's any question that Jesus was in fact immersed, not just sprinkled. Now, thankfully, I don't have to argue this on my own. Romans chapter 6 explains at length what this is all about, what this believer's baptism is all about. Let me read it for you. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, and that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. The act of baptism is when you are put under water because it is a symbolic representation of the fact that that old person is died and buried. The person, that person, the old you, no longer exists. We are a new person in Christ. And the raising up, the coming out of the water, is a picture that we too are being spiritually raised to walk, to begin a new kind of life, alive to God. Furthermore, the baptism of a believer in water is about choosing to identify not only with Christ, but with other people who have trusted in Christ. And it's a picture of being dead to the old sinful life, but being raised alive to a new life together in God. Now, if you've not done that, I would suggest you consider it. Because I believe The Bible teaches that you should be baptised as a believer, not just something that happens as a baby. If you've ever trusted in Christ as your saviour, I believe you need, just like him, to meekly submit to baptism. You may remember, and we'll certainly come across it in a few months, in Acts 19, there were people who had already been baptised by John the Baptist, but they didn't have believers at baptism at that point because Christ the Messiah had not yet come. He had not appeared yet. So at that point, they were baptised again and they submitted willingly to it. So if you've not experienced believers' baptism, in my estimation, it's something you should. There's great blessing in doing it. Me, myself, I come from a Methodist background. My father trained as a Methodist minister and then worked in mission all his life. And I grew up within the Methodist church. So me, myself, as an infant, I was baptised in the Methodist church by sprinkling. I had water sprinkled on my head three times, one for each member of the Trinity. Some people called it a christening, other people referred to it as infant baptism. Whatever you call it, that's what happened to me as a young baby. But as a young teenager, I got saved in a Methodist church youth club. But as far as baptism went, they said they told me it wasn't necessary. I was already set for church membership as I was because I'd been baptised as an infant and now that as an adult I'd made a personal profession of faith. So I was set to go. So don't get me wrong here. Clearly, anybody who has made a personal profession of faith is saved 
So what we're not talking here about your, is about your salvation. We're simply talking about your obedience. I won't bore you with the details, but at the age of 30, I ended up attending a Baptist church and I attended many services there. And I became aware, particularly through an understanding of what happens here in the story of Jesus' baptism, the very same things that I became aware of then, these are the things I've been trying to communicate to you good people today in this podcast. And that was that I too needed to be baptised, but this time as a believer. Now, some people call it adult baptism, but that isn't actually the correct term. It is actually believer's baptism. And some people are spiritually ready to that as children or young teenagers and other people aren't ready for it till many years advanced in years. But me personally, in a sense, I've been baptised twice in the Methodist church as an infant and then again as an adult believer. So yeah, I got a double crack at baptism. In fact, we all do. So friends, I would ask that you look at this passage and ask, what does it mean for you? Does it make any call upon your life and your relationship with God and your obedience to follow him and your willingness to be identified with him and also other believers who have chosen to hand over, surrender their life to him? Okay, friends, that's it for today. Thank you for joining me. We'll be back again together tomorrow. Well, tomorrow it is for me as we work together through the Gospel of Matthew on this amazing journey through the whole Bible. I do hope if you're here for the first time that you've decided to make the study of the Bible part of the rhythm of your daily life. God, I believe, will bless you through it in the same way he blesses me in preparing and the study of his word every day. So if you want to do that, then I recommend that you subscribe by going in, following the episode notes in and subscribing either where it's hosted on the podcast website or whatever podcast app you use to listen to podcasts, there should be a subscribe button in there. And like I said at the beginning, you'll also find ways in which you can connect to other teaching and other resources I do in other places like YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn, and even my Patreon page. In fact, I do have some more structured discipleship courses that are being posted there on those places all the time. But that's it for today. And this me and ministry, my me and ministry, to work for us together to work through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, every day, until we've done it. So thank you so much again, each and every one of you, for encouraging me by subscribing in your thousands, listening in your tens of thousands, as we work together through the Bible Project Daily Podcast. Bye-bye for now.